Good morning, good morning. Welcome to LifePoint. Hey, so glad to have you here to worship with us today. I don't have a bumper video for you, and so you're like totally thrown off, like the countdown and then like right into it. So here you go. Uh, so good to be here with you this morning. If you're new and visiting for the very first time, maybe the second, third, fourth, and you've never had a chance to uh, connect with us, we'd love to connect with you. If you wouldn't mind just texting the word welcome to the number on the screen, 406-219-0314, uh, and just follow the prompts. If you're watching online as well, we encourage you to do that. Uh, we'd love to start a relationship with you, and it's just an easy, easy way to do that. But uh, hey, if you have a Bible, jump right into Matthew chapter 21, Matthew 21. We'll have the scriptures up on the screen for you to follow along as always with us here in just a little bit, but it is good to be back with you, uh, kind of back, uh, to, back to work. It's been a couple weeks uh, since I've been uh, in the pulpit, and it's, uh, it's good to be back with you for sure. We are one week away from Easter. Can you actually believe that? That uh, Easter, it's actually a little bit later, but it uh, feels like it's kind of crept up on us. But so excited to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ with you uh, this coming, uh, coming week, coming Sunday. But this Friday, we are having our Good Friday service here at LifePoint at 7 p.m. Really excited about that. We're going to worship together. Uh, we're going to open the scriptures a little bit together, and we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper together as a church. And so I encourage you to be here for that. That's uh, 7 p.m. here at LifePoint. Excited for that. Make a note. Uh, but hey, today is a little bit different. Today uh, we celebrate uh, what's called Palm Sunday. And you're probably not going to go home and you know, have some special meal you know, for Palm Sunday. But uh, Palm Sunday is, uh, is something... Uh, that I think has a lot of significance. It's not something we, you know, celebrate with a lot of fanfare, so to speak. It kind of flies under the radar, I suppose, uh, as far as celebrations go. But man, there is so, so much significance uh, about Palm Sunday and this event that's found in Matthew 21. And I want to lean into that a little bit this morning, because I think there's some things that we can glean from this that's really going to impact our lives. But Palm Sunday, what is this all about? It's found in four Gospels. It's found in Matthew's Gospel, uh, Mark, Luke, and John's Gospel. And really, uh, every Gospel writer, and this is really the beauty of the Gospels, is you get like a different perspective from every Gospel writer, don't you? As you read their writings, you see kind of their firsthand experience from their own perspective. And so some of the Gospel writers include a lot of information about this event in the life of Jesus, and some don't have a whole lot of information. But uh, interesting what we are going to consider and what we're going to find uh, from this event today is really going to force us to ask a very important question. And that question is simply this, is who is Jesus, right? Who is Jesus? Like, who, who does the world say that Jesus is? Who did these people during this time say that Jesus was? And who do you say that Jesus is? What are your ideas and thoughts about the person of Jesus? We're going to answer uh, that question, hopefully, today. And really, even deeper than that, we're going to answer this question, is who I want Jesus to be in line with who Jesus really is. You ever thought about that? Like, what I believe about Jesus, is that really in line with, with the, the scriptural, biblical Jesus, right? The things that I want from Jesus, the things that I desire from him, uh, and think who he is, is that in line with what we see in the scriptures? And that's such an important question as we ponder and get ready to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the implications of what that event and what that uh, that thing uh, that Jesus did for us uh, on the cross, uh, what it means for us and what uh, Jesus really is about. And so is what I believe about Jesus, what I hope for in Jesus, the thing that Jesus really came to be, 
uh, for me? Do I, do I believe that? And am I in line with that? And so uh, a, lot of people, uh, a lot of people don't see Jesus for who he really is. Would you agree, agree with that statement? Like a lot of people in even Bible times when Jesus walked on this earth didn't see Jesus clearly. And the same thing happens today where we don't always see Jesus the way he should be seen. Like we have these ideas and we have these thoughts about church and about Christianity, about Jesus Christ, and they're not always in line with who Jesus really is, how the scriptures uh, define him. Listen, here's a reality. Not everyone understands you. Can you raise your hand in, in agreement to that? Like, not everyone understands you. I mean, uh, how many times have you gone through life where uh, you've had people kind of had these, you know, these misconceptions about who you are? Maybe you've had someone say uh, to you before, man, I thought you were like this. And like, I, I thought you were more like this, or I thought you didn't like this, or I thought you, you know, your character was this way. And, and so we have people all the time in life kind of misunderstand who we are. And if that happens to us, how much more does it happen uh, to Jesus Christ? Like if there was ever anyone, right, uh, in history who was misunderstood, it was the person of Jesus Christ. And so not everyone has a clear view, right? Not everyone has a clear understanding. And let's be honest, even though you're in church today, you might have a Bible in your lap, you may not have a clear view and understanding of Jesus Christ this morning. I mean, look, the people that witnessed him, right? The people that walked with him, the people that saw the miracles, they, they, they heard Jesus speak, they saw all these wonderful and amazing things firsthand, and many of them didn't get Jesus right. So how easy it is for us today to have this idea of who Jesus is that really doesn't line up with the scriptures. So we need to lean into this, right? We need to lean into who is Jesus? And is what I believe about Jesus the Jesus of the Bible, or is it something that I am you know, imagining in and of myself? I mean, the reality is that, that you this morning might be worshiping the wrong Jesus that you might have created this imagination and this idea about this person, Jesus, that really doesn't exist, but it's in your mind and it's in your thoughts. And so we need to understand what does the scriptures say about Jesus Christ? And here's what we're gonna focus in on on Matthew, uh, Matthew's gospel, chapter 21, and this, this idea of Palm Sunday. It actually should be called Palm Monday because it happened on a Monday, not a Sunday, but we're worshiping on Sunday, and so we call it Palm Sunday, right? That's, that's, what, that's what we do, right? Um, but here's our bottom line. This is what we're going to lean into this morning. If you're new to LifePoint, we have one main thought, one main idea, and, and you're going to find I'm going to talk really, really fast today because we've got a lot of information, and I want to make sure you get out on time as well. But here's our bottom line, and that is, is that Jesus can't be your king unless you first made him your lamb. Would you agree with that statement? Uh, Jesus cannot be your king. You cannot make him your king unless you have first made him your lamb. And, and that thought, I want you to know it's not original with me. I read that this week and I thought, oh wow, there's a lot of power in that statement. Like that's something we need to lean into. That's something we need to consider that Jesus is actually our lamb before we, we make him our king, before we have all the benefits and blessings of the kingship and lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives that we recognize he was a lamb that was slain for my transgressions. And he's a lamb before he is my king. And we'll explain what that means as we get into this this morning. Uh, but he's both. Like, I want you to understand, uh, first and foremost, Jesus is both, amen? He is both a lamb and he is uh, a king as well. In fact, you remember last week, Jeff talked about John the Baptist, right? Like, what an amazing person and perspective. He must increase, I must decrease. But notice what John the, the Baptist said about Jesus when he witnessed him in John chapter 1. 
in verse 29. Uh, he said this, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said this, behold, what? Say it with me, the Lamb of God, right? Who does what? Who takes away, takes away the sin of the world. And so John refers to Jesus as the Lamb of God. He's the Lamb. Right, from the beginning of creation, God knew Jesus would be the lamb. And in fact, we'll get to a verse in Revelation here in just a moment that, that shows Jesus is still the lamb. He's still considered the lamb. But the Jewish people would understand that. When John said, look, the lamb of God, that in, in the minds of those Jewish people listening to that, they would understand that because that was part of their culture. It was part of uh, their worship. I mean, you have this whole sacrificial system in the Old Testament every single day, right? Lambs are being slaughtered. You have this blood that is being poured out day after day after day, right? And the people understood that, that Jesus would be that one and final lamb. And so that's so important to understand that distinction that John made here of Jesus. He's the lamb of God. And listen, he's our lamb, and we'll, we'll, we'll emphasize this point at the end. He's our lamb if we make him our lamb. Right? He's not everyone's lamb. He is the lamb of God, but you and I have a choice to make whether or not we'll make Jesus our lamb. Well, whether we're, we'll receive him as our lamb. And so he is the lamb of God, but he's also king, right? Let me show you one verse in Revelation chapter four, or 17. Uh, and I love this, love this, love this. Revelation 17, kind of contextually here without going into all kinds of you know, end times type stuff, but uh, this is when Jesus is uh, reigning uh, on the earth, his millennial reign. He's sitting on the throne of David. He is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, physically on this earth. And at the end of that thousand-year reign, uh, Satan is loose, and, and they make war against the lamb. Notice what it says here in verse 14. It says, they will make war on who? The lamb, right? Jesus is still the lamb, the end, end of the book, right? And the lamb, guess what, will conquer them. Here's the reality, Jesus wins in the end. Right? No, no matter what's going on in your life and how anxious you are about the world and is this this and is this the end times? Is Jesus coming? I don't know, but we're closer. Right? We're one day closer today than we were yesterday. That's all I know, right? But the reality and the truth is that Jesus will conquer them right? Uh, in this final battle and final war. But notice as it goes on, it says the Lamb will conquer them for he is what? Lord of lords and he is king of kings and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. Jesus is both king and he is lamb at the same time. But he's got to be your lamb before he can be your king. We're going to emphasize that and explain that as we dig into this. But let's read our text, right? Let's find out what is happening here in, in Matthew 21. What on earth is Palm Sunday? Some of you are like, we celebrate that? Well, yeah, we kind of do, right? It's kind of, you know, an important event in the life of Jesus. And uh, we need to lean into this a little bit this morning. So we're going to read verses 1 through 11. Can you guys handle that? 11 verses. We can handle that in church, right? Starting in verse one, awesome, thank you. I got a yes, I got a yeah, somebody, yes, everybody. Right, verse number one, it says this. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied. Now that's kind of cool, go into a village, Jesus is like, there's gonna be a donkey, and they go and they find it, right? Uh, and so you're gonna find it, untie it, you're gonna find a, a donkey and a colt wither, untie them, bring them to me, and if anyone says anything to you, you shall say to them, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. And so this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, and that prophet was Zechariah. And we'll look at that scripture here in a little bit. Uh, the prophet saying, verse 5, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, 
on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Those were words that were spoken hundreds and hundreds of years prior by the prophet uh, Zechariah. Verse 6, and the disciples, they go, and, and they, uh, as Jesus had directed them, and they bring the donkey and the colt, and they put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. And most of the crowd, verse 8, spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees, and they spread them on the road as well. And the crowds that went before him and the crowd that uh, followed behind him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And I want you to underline that phrase because that's an important question. Who, who is this? And notice the crowd's response. People that were walking with Jesus before and behind, they say this, well, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. This is known as really Palm Sunday, we call it, but it's also known as the triumphant entry of Jesus. The triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem is, listen, both king and and Messiah. And that's a really, really important distinction that we understand. Jesus coming is king, for sure. Uh, but he's also coming as Messiah. But this idea of a triumphant entry, like when you hear that, that phrase, it, it really seems anything but triumphant, doesn't it? Right? Like, like, like you read that description of Matthew, at least I do, and I don't really think, wow, that's an entrance, right? He's on a donkey riding into Jerusalem. Like, what an entrance, right? Right? Be honest, right? but it's so Jesus, is it not? It, it, it's so within the character of who God is to, to come in such a way. I mean, you think of the incarnation, right? We won't go into that, but like Jesus doesn't come with a lot of fanfare, right? Jesus doesn't come in with, with all the riches and all the glory and all the things of the world, right? He comes in a humble way and he enters into Jerusalem in a very much similar, similar way. Now, I want us to understand some things contextually here, because we're like jumping into the end of Matthew chapter 21, so we need to understand what is happening here. What is happening with this event on Monday? What is happening here in this, this time frame? This is the beginning of Passion Week. Have you heard of that phrase before? Passion Week. The passion of Jesus. It was Jesus' passion to do what? To go to the cross. Right? It was everything his life. The whole reason Jesus came was for this week that he would go straight to the cross. It's his passion. Now, now this, is, this is the beginning of Passion Week. And of course, Passion Week just describes the, all the events from Monday uh, to Sunday, really all the events that lead up really to the sufferings of Jesus that lead up to the cross. And this, this event on Monday, it kicks it all off. It, it literally is the spark that ignites the cross, so to speak. In fact, Jesus is the one under God's direction, under you know, the leading of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus is the one who is igniting this flame and making all of this happen. Jesus is in control. I want you to see that throughout this whole thing. In fact, on Good Friday, we're going to talk about the sovereignty of Jesus in his own death. That we often think like, oh, the, you know, the Jews, they murdered Jesus. And we're like, yes, they did, but Jesus, Jesus wasn't a victim. He was in control of every single thing that was happening from, from the, the beginning of his life to the end and everything that happens Monday through Friday at the cross, Jesus is in control. He's allowing it all to happen for you, right? For you. And so you have this crowd, this, this kind of this mob, mob, this throng of people that is all orchestrated by Jesus. And, and when you read that, it, it's kind of, I think we read scripture so, so many times and it just kind of, like the, the event and the significance of the event kind of glosses over us, but this has never happened in the life of Jesus. 
Jesus never allowed the mobs to kind of just like take control and like proclaim. Like many times you hear Jesus saying like, you know, go and be healed, but like don't tell anybody, right? Like go, don't tell anybody. Why? Because like it's not my time. It's not my time. In fact, when Jesus healed, or excuse me, when Jesus fed the 5,000, remember that story? Jesus feeds 5,000 people. Guess what the crowd is doing? They're like, let's make him our king. And Jesus quickly sends the disciples to the other side, and he dismisses the crowd because that mob wanted to make Jesus their physical king. He's like, hey, this dude's going to feed us. He's going to take care of us. He's going to heal people. We want him to be our king. He says, no, not yet. It's not my time. It's not my time. In fact, Jesus would say that on many occasions in John chapter 7 and verse 6, this is a another example. Uh, he's talking to his brothers about going up to the feast, and he's like, no, you guys go. He says, he says in verse 6, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. And then in verse 8, he says, I'm not going up to the feast, for my time has not fully come. But now here on Monday, it's his time. It's the exact time for Jesus to ignite the flame in order to go to the cross, just like God had, had planned. This is play. Monday is like the play button. And all the events begin to roll out just as the Father had planned. In fact, I'll show you something really exciting and really interesting that kind of blows your mind as far as how specific Monday is in, in the whole like, uh, time frame of God's uh, plan for this to happen. This timeline of God, this timeline of history happens on a very specific time that Jesus fulfills. We'll look at that here uh, in just a, just a little bit. But I want you to understand one more thing that kind of puts this all into context. Like, we need to understand context, right? Uh, and that is, is from Matthew chapter 21 to the end of the chapter uh, is one week, right? One week, Matthew 21 to the end of Matthew 28 uh, encompasses one week. That might be a good uh, portion of scripture for you to lean into this next week as we kind of prepare for uh, this celebration uh, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But I hope that helps to kind of put everything into context uh, as we read this, I know it does for me, it helps, but this is, this is the culmination of Jesus' life. Like, understand that. This is the culmination, really, of hundreds of years of prophecy that have been spoken of this Messiah that would come, that would bring redemption, that would bring healing, that would bring forgiveness of sins. It's all coming to this point in history. And so really important stuff here that is proving, that is proving really this, that Jesus is the Messiah. That Jesus really is who he says he is. And all of these points and all the things that are happening here in Matthew chapter 21 are pointing us to that very fact. And so Jesus is heading to Jerusalem, right? He's heading into Jerusalem. And you got these crowds of people that have been coming uh, to Jesus for really days. I mean, he had recently, just days before, he had just raised Lazarus from the grave. And there's all these people that witnessed that. And there's people that outside of the, that town, they hear about it. And so people are flocking. They're flooding to Jesus. They're coming to him uh, where he, he is at specifically. And, and now they are collectively going with him to Jerusalem. And I want to point out something really important for us to see, uh, and that is this, is that the same crowd, the same mob, the same group of people that are throwing their coats down, that are cutting palm branches and laying them in the road and shouting Hosanna uh, to the son of David, to the God most high, all of these wonderful things, declaring him to be the Messiah four days later, will be the crowd that says, crucify him, crucify him. Same group of people. 
But notice the first few verses. We'll just kind of briefly comment on this and walk through this passage a little bit this morning. Uh, in verses 1 through 4, you have this, this, you know, this idea that Jesus tells his disciples, go into the village, verse 2, right? Go into this village, and immediately when you go in, you will find a donkey that is tied in, in a colt with her. I want you to untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone is like, hey, whoa, what are you doing you know, with my donkey? Just tell them that the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. And so this took place, of course, to fulfill uh, what was spoken by the prophet, and that prophet was Zechariah. Now, let me just make something clear. Jesus ain't stealing somebody's donkey, right? Like, that's not what's happening here, right? Uh, Jesus, of course, is Lord of lords. He is King of kings. He is the sovereign Lord. He can do whatever he pleases, right? Uh, but he uh, tells him to go in and, and, and to take this donkey, and he says, look, if anyone asks of it, just tell them the Lord needs it. I'll make, I'll make a, a, a point about that here in just a moment. But this is in fulfillment of prophecy. This is in fulfillment of something that was spoken hundreds of years prior that, hey, you want to know who the Messiah is? Who, who's the Messiah? What is he going to be like? When is he going to come? All these things. Well, let me tell you. It's going to be very, very specific. And Zechariah, notice it with me real quick. Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. It says, rejoice greatly. And this is, this is what Matthew is quoting here, right, in chapter 21. He's quoting uh, Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. You see, like when you read those words, like what kind of salvation are you talking about? Because to the Jews, many of them, they had a different salvation in mind. And we'll talk about what that means here in just a moment. But he comes uh, with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey. In fact, not just any donkey, on a colt, the full of a donkey. Very, very specific prophecy, is it not? Very, very specific words. Your king is coming. He's bringing salvation. He'll, he'll come humbly and seated on a colt. Now, historically, when a king would enter into a city, he would come two different ways, two different options either on a horse or on a donkey. On a horse, usually it was a white horse. In fact, you read Revelation, what's Jesus coming back on? A white horse. Isn't that cool, right? As what? As a king. I'm coming back as king. But here, he comes on a donkey, right? You, you, you see, he, he's, the significance of that is, is that I'm coming in peace. I'm coming to bring salvation. I'm coming not for war, but the problem was that the Jews during that day, they wanted a war horse, they wanted a king that would come on a war horse and free them from oppression and free them from Roman rule and establish the, the nation of Israel as a superpower again. They wanted all of these things. Very, very political. Sounds like America. Wow. Don't go there. Don't go there, right? Boy, does that sound like modern American Christianity. Like we want something from God, and we think God is political. No. He wasn't then, and he's really not now. But they had, this, they had this misconception. They had this misconception about Jesus. Did they want the Messiah? Man, boy, they did want the Messiah. But they wanted something different than what Jesus was actually offering. And that is so, so significant. And so Jesus rides in on this donkey, right? But, but again, this is really cool. He rides on a colt that has never been ridden before. Raise your hand. You've, been, you, you wrote, you've ridden a donkey that's never been ridden before for the very first time. That was you. Man, you guys are tough. Like, I just, I would never do that, right? Uh, but he rides this un unbroken colt. And all of you rode rodeo fans out there are like, yeehaw, Jesus is a cowboy, right? Like, that's, that's it. Like, Jesus, he's my man. He is a cowboy, right? He rode an unbroken donkey, right? But it wasn't really like that, right? It wasn't really like that. Um, but here's the thing. 
Like, you don't do that, right? Like, if you have any sense about you, you're not like, hey, it would be cool to take this colt. I mean, if you're not very smart, it might be a cool thing to do. Like, let's take this, let's take this colt, this unbroken donkey, and let's ride it in the crowd, right? Like, that'll be fun, right? Because if you do that, right, number one, someone's getting bucked off, and number two, someone's getting, you know, a hoof, you know, mouthful of hoof, right? That's happening, right? That's happening. You know it's happening, right? But how does Jesus do this? And this might be small and insignificant, but I love it because here's what it shows. It shows in such a small way that Jesus is Lord of creation even. That Jesus himself can do something that that nobody else could do, and that is ride this unbroken colt uh, in the midst of this crowd. And this is all done to fulfill what? The words of Zechariah, chapter nine and verse nine. But there's one more interesting thing, and I really gotta go fast here, that I just wanna briefly mention as it relates to the timing. You think like, is, is God into timing? Is, is God into fulfilling things exactly how he said they would? You bet he is. In fact, we read in Daniel chapter nine, this is known as Daniel's 70 weeks, a prophecy that Daniel speaks about something that would happen in the future as it relates to the Messiah and the timing of the Messiah. Check it out with me real quick in Daniel chapter nine in verses 24 through 25. 70 weeks. Verse 24, 70 weeks are decreed about your people in the holy city, Israel, the holy city of Jerusalem, okay? To finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness. What is all that talking about? That's crosstalk, right? That's redemption. That's looking ahead to redemption. That's looking ahead to the cross that Daniel is speaking about. To bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet, and to anoint a most holy place. And then notice verse 25, know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore uh, and build Jerusalem. Now, that is a decree made by a king by the name of Artaxerxes. Uh, They are in Babylon. They had been there for 70 years. They are getting out of Babylon. And Artaxerxes is going to make a decree. You guys can go. You guys can go back and rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild the temple, that decree. From that point on, he says, to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, the Messiah, he says, there shall be seven weeks, then 62 weeks, it shall be built again in, uh, he says, with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. I'm going to give you a quote uh, from John MacArthur because he explains it way better than I can explain it. But he said this. He said, Daniel prophesizes that from the decree of Artaxerxes to rebuild the temple in the city to the coming of the Messiah, the prince will be 69 weeks of years, 69 times 7, which equals 483. I was told there'd be no math, but there is math actually in the Bible. But biblical scholars, listen, they have affirmed this. that The very day that Jesus came in Jerusalem was in fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy in Daniel chapter number nine. Is that not amazing? Is that not amazing? I'll I'll refer you to a book. If you want to deep dive into that, there's a book written by uh, Robert Anderson in 1894. Yes, 18, excuse me, 94, uh, called The Coming Prince. The Coming Prince. Look it up. He gives a great great explanation of the prophecy in Daniel chapter number nine. But just amazing, right? Amazing. Amazing time frame, and Jesus fulfills it to the very T here in Matthew chapter number 20. But let's read on. Let's read on. In verse number six, 
It says this, so the disciples went, they did as Jesus directed them, and they bring the donkey and the colt, and they put on them their cloaks, and, they sat on, and he sat on them. Uh, and most of the crowd, they spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches. We know that those are palm branches. If you read other gospel writers, they tell us they're specifically palm branches. And they cut them down, and they spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him are shouting, Hosanna, to the son of David. I want you to underline that phrase or just make a mental note of it because it's really, really, excuse me, significant. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city again was stirred up. And that word stirred up was the same, the same word that was used when the Magi come into the city when Jesus is born and all of Jerusalem is stirred up. It's like they're, they're anxious, they're fearful. What is happening? What is going on? Jesus, the Messiah entering the city caused that same stir and they ask, who is this? And the crowd say, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And so again, you get the huge, huge crowd. Jesus is in the middle of them, right? And, and he's riding this donkey and the people are cutting branches down. They're laying them in the road. They're taking their cloaks and they're laying them in the road, which was a sign of submission, that, that we are submitted to you. We are recognizing something about you and we, we are placing ourselves. This entire crowd is doing this. We are placing ourselves in submission, and they are making a very, very important declaration. You are the Messiah. This is their recognition. You are the Messiah. You are the long-awaited Messiah. We are recognizing you as the future king of Israel. All of them. You're the son of David, they're declaring. They're shouting Hosanna. Hosanna means save now. Save now. Bring salvation. Son of David is a reference to what? Jesus being what? The son of David. <laughs> and the rightful king to the throne of Israel. If you read Matthew's uh, gospel, you find this genealogy that is very, very significant that proves that Jesus is from the line and lineage of David. But they're all declaring this one thing, that Jesus is the one true Messiah, the one that the scriptures had pointed to for centuries. He's the one. And, and that all seems great. You're like, wow, the crowd believes in Jesus. Look at all these people coming to faith. Look at the declaration they're making about Jesus. They're shouting in unison. I mean, like, this is like, whoa, this is this big event. All pointing that Jesus is truly the Messiah. And yet, four days, four days, and they'll all be shouting for his death. You, you read that and you think, what gives? How can people be so enamored and in love seemingly with Jesus? And then four days later, shout for his death, crucify him, crucify him. What is going on here? Well, the answer is actually rather simple. And that is, this, is that they wanted a conquering king, not a suffering savior. They wanted something so much different from Jesus than what he was actually offering. I mean, they, they were just caught up in this idea that Jesus is going to be our king, and, and, and they wanted something different than what Jesus was coming to give. And Jesus is like, I'm heading straight to the cross. I'm not coming to set you free politically. I'm not coming to feed you and heal every sickness and make your life the way you want it to be. I'm coming to be your lamb, not your king first. That would come later. And so in verse 10, it really, it, it puts in, into perspective this misunderstanding that this crowd has of Jesus. Who is this? What do you mean, who is this? 
Have you not been in Israel? Have you not seen? Have you not witnessed the miracles? Have you not heard of Jesus Christ and all the things that he has done? Who is this? And the crowd responds. And they say, well, it's the prophet. Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And you know they're not wrong, right? It's true. Jesus is, in a lot of ways, a prophet, but he's more than a prophet, right? He, he's more than a teacher. He's more than a person who did good things. He's more than a person who healed people, raised people back to life. He is our Savior. And until he's your Savior, until he's your Lamb, he's not going to be your King. And so let me ask you this morning, who do you say that Jesus is? What is your perspective and idea about the person of Jesus Christ? Listen, Jesus can't be your king unless you've made him your lamb. I'm going to ask you to stand for just a moment as we get ready to close and wrap this up this morning. Who do you want Jesus to be for you? What do you want from Jesus? I'm glad you're here in church. I'm glad that, that, that you're here and you're present today. But just because you're here doesn't mean Jesus is your lamb, right? Like you don't walk into church and all of a sudden you're a Christian because you're here. It doesn't work that way. There's got to be a point in your life where you confess and you say, he is my lamb slain from my transgressions. Let me show you something really, really cool, and I love this the history and the depth of what the Jewish nation did. Here's something really, really neat that happened on Monday. In fact, this would happen. This was, this was a, a, a high Sabbath. That weekend would be called a high Sabbath. And the reason it would be called a high Sabbath was not only was it a Sabbath, but it was Passover. And during Passover week, it, it wasn't just one day that they celebrated Passover where they commemorated what Jesus or what God did for them uh, in, in releasing them from Egypt and the death angel and all of those things. Uh, it was so much more. But on Monday, each family would go out into their flock and guess what they would do? They would choose a lamb from their very own flock and they would bring it into their home. And that lamb would kind of be part of their family for a week, knowing that on Friday, they would sacrifice that lamb. And they would put the blood on the doorposts in recognition that blood must be spilt in order for the remission of sins. And on Monday, as the nation of Israel is choosing a lamb, you know what God is doing? Here's my lamb. Here's my lamb, Jesus. Oh, amazing. God saying, this is the lamb, the lamb of God. Is he your lamb today? Have you made him your lamb? Uh, you, you may want Jesus to be something for you, and that's great. Jesus does a lot for us. He brings us peace, and he brings us joy in the midst of unhappy situations in life. What do you want from him? Is he really your lamb today? Have you confessed him as your savior? You know, the most important thing, the most important thing is that Jesus is truly the Lamb of God in your life. He can't be anything else unless he's first that. You might say to me, Pastor, how do I do that? Is this some magical prayer? No, it's not. But it's that you would actually believe and confess that Jesus is who he says he is. That he came and he died for you. That, that on Monday, he had Friday in view. That on Monday, everything he was in control of and doing and pointing to so that he could go to the cross and die for your sins. That was his goal. Have you made him your lamb today? 
Have you received him? I didn't ask you, are you a Christian? I didn't ask you, do you know the Bible? I didn't ask you, you know, do you have Christian friends? Did you grow up in a Christian family? Are you spiritual? I didn't ask you that. I asked you, is he your lamb today? Who is Jesus to you? If he ain't lamb, he ain't king, guys. He's got to be your lamb first. God, this morning, we're so grateful that you so willingly went to the cross. God, we're so thankful that you came and put on flesh so that, that you could live this sinless life, all so that you could go to the cross and on the third day rise again, defeating sin and defeating death for us. Thank you for being our lamb. We choose you. We choose you to be the lamb of God who takes away our sin. But God, may you also be king. For those of us that, that, that have made that decision, God, may we choose today as we, as we consider and ponder Passion Week and everything that you did for us, God, may we make you king again. May we allow you to sit on the throne of our hearts and our lives. May you be Lord of all. May we hold everything with an open hand, just like that family with a donkey said, oh, the Lord needs it? Yeah, go ahead and take it. God, that we would hold our, our time, our talents, our resources with an open hand and say, whatever, whatever you want is, is yours because you are the sovereign Lord. You are King of kings and you are Lord of lords. We love you. We thank you, God, for what you are going to do in our hearts today, what you're going to do in hearts and lives next week as we celebrate the greatest event in all of human history, the fact that you're alive today. We worship you for that, and we praise you for it. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Would you worship one last time with us?